Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emmanuelmanning.com. Thanks and enjoy the sermon. Good evening. I'm glad that you guys are here. Tonight we are going to begin a new study. Uh, called the Holy Spirit of God. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and tonight, we're not going to um, necessarily dig into a text. It's going to be fire hose, drinking from a fire hose Bible verses tonight. All right. Uh, so as we kind of begin and prepare our hearts Uh, to think about the Holy Spirit. Let me straighten this out for you guys. Um, Let's think about perception versus reality. Many people will say that uh, perception is reality. I don't know that that's true, but perception certainly versus reality. So for instance, in my mind, uh, this is how I feel when I think about somebody who's threatened me in my life, that that's more of what has happened. Uh, The perception of fatherhood, isn't it wonderful, men? The reality of fatherhood, something more like that. I'm glad it's his feet. Uh, Ladies, for you, maybe this is what you feel like when you run. This is the perception. This is probably what you look like (laughs) when you're running. Perception and reality are not always the same. This is how I feel when I wear a tight shirt. This is how I look uh, when I wear a tight, more cowbell. Does anybody know that reference? All right, anyway. So perception and reality are often different. And I think um, one of the places where perception and reality are uh, most different is in our experience of the Holy Spirit. Because what you think him to be and who you think him like Uh, really in some ways does shape how you experience uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who is within us now, since he is in many ways the shaper of our experience of Christianity, it is imperative that we understand his ministry and his work. Um, And really, when we think about the Holy Spirit, he is better than we perceive him to be. And the problem is uh, that in our day and age, um, I don't know, we we can't seem to get together on it. And so we have uh, some people who believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible, right? And then on the other end, we have people who are charismaniacs, And the problem is that those are polarizing views and experiences. And then you have folks in the middle who don't like fights like me. I just avoid areas where there's a bunch of polarization. And so we have white hot on one end, dead cold on the other end, and not concerned in the middle. And that's just not what we should do uh, because the Holy Spirit is better than than we think. Uh, And so tonight... As we begin, and this is just an introductory study, I want us to focus 
on two things about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at a lot of stuff over, I don't know how many weeks, 10 weeks maybe. We're going to cover quite a bit uh, about this mysterious person of the Trinity. The two things tonight I want us to focus on, though, is that the Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit uh, is God. And so that's what we're looking at tonight, the Holy Spirit as a person in the Godhead. And in many ways, both of these things are uh, confused uh, in church history. The first point that we need to know is that the Holy Spirit is a person. A person. Now, the Bible doesn't help us here. You're like, did a Baptist pastor just say the Bible doesn't help us here? Well, the Bible obviously is God's word and says every single thing that the Bible means because it was the Holy Spirit that inspired it. But if we don't read it carefully, we just read it lightly, uh, it can create some problems for us. Because, well, when I say that there's God the Father, you know what Father is. You may have had a bad one, but at least you have a reference point. When I tell you the, the Son, you've got a reference point there as well. Those are two personal beings. Fathers and sons are persons. But when I say Spirit... It's not even any better in the original language, both the Hebrew word and the Greek word, ruach. Everybody say ruach. No, no, guttural was good, all right? Uh, and then in, the, in the, the Greek, pneuma, which we get pneumonia, both of them just mean literally air that moves, dynamic air. And so the word for it is kind of father, yes, son, moving air. And then when we get other pictures of the Holy Spirit, uh, we get images like tongues of what? Fire. Uh, Jesus said when the Spirit comes, it'll be like water coming out of you or anointing oil. And so because of the images that the Scripture uses, because it's describing things that are beyond our sense perception, it can often use things that make it hard for us to picture it as as we would if we read everything carefully. I mean, when people think of the Holy Spirit, they think of a force like gravity or a power like electricity. So we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is a person, and that's one of the things that I want to get in you deeply tonight, that you begin to relate to the Holy Spirit as a person to whom you can relate, to whom you can pray, uh, to whom you can speak, from whom you can expect things. And so while there are problems, it even goes further. So this is a great verse from John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Who's missing? Why isn't he there? You see what I'm saying? We need to really come to some understanding here. John says this in 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, who's missing? And what we'll see in time is He's not missing at all. Right? He's not missing at all. It's just not in, in the way that we tend to think about things. So even though the Bible sort of when it talks about fellowship and eternal life, it talks about the father and the son. And even though the spirit is spirit, 
And we have difficulty picturing that oil fire. Nevertheless, the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit uh, is a, a person. Listen to what Jesus says. But when the Holy, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And here's what's crazy about this verse. Um, first of all, the Holy Spirit is called a he, right? Now, what makes that even more interesting, nerd moment for you here, okay, is this word spirit is neuter. So in other languages, I'm sorry to do this to you, nouns can be feminine, masculine, or neuter. We only carry that over into English in the sense that we conceive of like a boat being a she, right? We'll talk about certain things as having some kind of gender, but in many other languages, nouns and pronouns have gender. And so spirit is neuter. Who proceeds is neuter. And so you would begin to think that the spirit is not a he or a she, the spirit is a what? An it. And if if John were to follow grammatical rules, if both of these are neuter, then when he gets here, that should be it. But it is a word that is clearly and unusually not it. The word is he. And so Jesus wants us to know that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And so somehow we need to keep in mind that although he's not the father and he's not the son, he is a, a he. What are some other characteristics of personhood that the Holy Spirit has? Well, he, he speaks. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart uh, for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So who, who's speaking here? Yeah, and set apart for who? So this is the Holy Spirit speaking as the Lord. Or how about this? Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's the Spirit that's speaking to the churches in Revelation 2. Sometimes it says what Christ says to the churches. But the Spirit speaks. It's don't speak. Only he and she's speak. He also wills. Having a will is a characteristic of being a person, isn't it? You plan things, you want things, you wish things. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says about the Holy Spirit, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he what? As he wills. So who is it that determines what gift you get? It's the Spirit. He, he has a role to play. He's not just like the... The, the background noise of the Trinity. He does things. He wants things. He wills things. Or how about this? For it has seemed good to us, uh, the Holy Spirit, and to us to lay no greater burden than these requirements. So the Holy Spirit and the apostles, and this is in Acts 15 where they have this big council and all the big guys in Jerusalem get together and Paul comes and they hash it out. All right, what do we really expect of the Old Testament for the Gentiles to obey so that there can be some peace between Gentiles and Jews in the church. Well, here's what it is. 
And this is what seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so the Holy Spirit wills things. He speaks. He feels. He can, he can be hurt because he's, he's a person. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them. Paul alludes to this, I think, in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's possible for you to do things that grieve the Spirit. You can upset the Spirit. He prays. Again, I, there's no sensible way not to believe in the Trinity. You got the Spirit and the Son praying to the Father. Spirit prays. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit prays for you in groans. And Paul says the reason that you'll make it to the end is because He's doing that. When we sing, What a friend we have in Jesus, amen, we do have a friend in Jesus. We need to add a verse or something. What a friend we have in the Holy Spirit. He loves. Paul says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The Holy, of course the Spirit loves. What's the first fruit of having the Spirit? Love. He can be sinned against. We said this. He can be grieved. But listen to what Peter said of Ananias and Sapphira. And I love this section when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because Ananias and Sapphira, um, it's, it's, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, you have the picture of Hophni and Phinehas, who as soon as the temple is set up, they go in and try and do something wacky and fire comes out and kills them. It's not a coincidence that this is one of the first stories. This is like the New Testament, Hophni and Phinehas, like Ananias and Sapphira try to lie to God by saying they have given everything when they didn't give everything. And had that happened to us, I can imagine easily that we would interpret that by going, my goodness, you lied to God. But how did the apostles interpret it? Well, you did lie to God, but Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to why, why did they go there? Maybe because the Holy Spirit was a lot more important in their experience than he is in ours. The Holy Spirit also prohibits. Talking about the apostles, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. God, there's so many sermons you could preach from these texts. There's a wrong time to do the right thing. Is it ever bad to speak the word? But why did the Holy Spirit say, don't go to China? Imagine what would happen if Paul had gone to China. Holy Spirit said, don't go there. You know why? Because he's sovereign. He rules. He reigns. He has wisdom. He plans. He's part of the Trinity. All of these things demonstrate that the Spirit is personal. He's a person. He's someone to whom you can relate He's someone with whom you should have a relationship. 
He's not just the power that connects things. Well, not only is the Holy Spirit personal, the Holy Spirit is God. Why? Well, he shares the name and status of God. I love this. This is so funny. I'm going to die. I'm going off script tonight. I'm staying back on script. What does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are controlled by prepositions. So one name, right, of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Three who have this name. He shares the the name of God. Well, how about this? Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So just like last time, he was set on par with Jesus, the son and God, the father. Look what happens here. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you have this repetitive phrase, but it is the same God that's talking about the father, but the same Lord speaking of Jesus but the same spirit. He's set on the same level with the Son and with the Father. Not only does he share the name and status of God, he also shares the nature of God. I mean, think about this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So if God's spirit dwells in you, then you are God's temple because who dwells in you? God, right? If the spirit is in you, God is in you. If the spirit takes residence in your soul, in the nexus of like your personality, then God is there and you are therefore a temple. And that's both an encouragement uh, to us and uh, a, a source of concern. It's an encouragement because God is in you. Now, don't think literally in your body. Think somehow mysteriously in, in, in your spirit, connected with you at that deep heart level. Um, that's, a, that's a wonderful promise. It's a wonderful thought. But it also means that when you go and do sin, you're carrying the Holy Spirit with you to do it. It shares the attributes of God. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This spirit, how is he described here? Eternal, right? He's the eternal spirit. Not only does he share the names of God, he shares the attributes of God. He is eternal. He's also omniscient. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? That's a great question. Nobody really knows everything I'm thinking except for who? Me, right? And the Lord. My wife knows a lot of what I'm thinking. She knows some areas of what I'm thinking more than I do, but she doesn't know everything I'm thinking. Only I know what I'm thinking. In the same way, so also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who's the only one that can comprehend the thoughts of God? God. And the Spirit is God. He's a person and he's God. And he shares the work of God. 
Now, you need to know a little Old Testament theology to, to understand the importance of this. There are all kinds of heavenly beings in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? A, a word for all of them is the word Elohim. I don't know if you know this or not. Elohim is not a name for God. It's just translated God. It's like the word mom. Mom can be used as a personal name, but mom is more an office, right? That's what Elohim is. Yeah, sometimes they say God is our Elohim. Elohim basically means anybody coming from the heavenly realm. There are lots of beings that come from the heavenly realm. Uh, but all of those beings don't share in a few things. And one of the things they don't share in is they didn't create and they don't save. And yet, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's amazing in the Old Testament, the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God in the Old Testament are said to work alongside God himself in creating and saving. It's crazy. But he shares in the work, work of God. What does it say? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So at the beginning in creation, the Spirit was there sharing in God's creative work. There's only one being that creates and saves. It's God. And the Spirit participated in that work. Well, how about Psalm 104? Talking about animals and men, mankind and just life on earth. And it says, when you send forth your Spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. The Spirit was the power behind the creation. He's also key in our salvation. 1 Corinthians six eleven says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it's, it's amazing here. I don't think we often see these kinds of things. All of these verbs, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in how many persons? In the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. So we were justified in Jesus' name, we were washed in Jesus' name, we were sanctified in Jesus' name, and we were washed by the Spirit, we were sanctified by the Spirit, and we were justified by the Spirit. Do you see that? And so all of this leads to us understanding that we should really, really know and really, really seek the Spirit, His empowerment, His presence, His gifts, all of these things are things that we should urgently be seeking. Jesus makes this clear. All right, Jesus said something crazy. And I'm reading a book by a guy named J.D. Greer. Listen to what he says. Jesus said, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus claimed that having the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having Jesus beside them. 
Now you can see this actually working out in the lives of the apostles. Let me tell you a story about Peter, can I? You're like, can we say no? Peter, uh, whenever Jesus was beside him, was uh, a pretty uh, strong dude. So when Jesus was near and Jesus was walking on water, what did Peter say? Hey, I want to get out there. And so he'd get out and he'd walk on water. If he took his eyes off of Jesus, um, things went bad. But if he was near Jesus, things went good. When he was near Jesus and on mission with Jesus, Peter himself could do miracles when he was sent out by the Lord. Everything was good when Jesus was near. There's even a great story in the Gospels where uh, a whole section of troops come. And it's the night that Jesus is betrayed. Uh, and Peter had seen Jesus do so many amazing things uh, that when those soldiers came to arrest him, what did Peter do? Grabbed a sword and he lopped off the ear of Malchus, uh, the servant of the high priest. Now, I'm, I'm imagining he didn't go, right? Got your ear. I mean, he probably swung, and what did Malchus do? <laughs> Ducked, and he got his ear. Because Peter was near Jesus, right? And when he was near Jesus, he could do anything. So, yeah, there might be a hundred dudes with swords and clubs and training, but I got the Lord right beside me. Give me a sword. Let's go. And then something happens. Jesus allows himself to be arrested, and Peter is taken away. And what happens to Peter thereafter? He, in front of a slave girl, and in front of a, a bunch of people who probably didn't really matter and couldn't do much to him, he denied Christ three times with cursing, and he ran out and he wept bitterly. When Jesus was near, Peter could do amazing things with confidence. When Jesus was away, Peter could not do much at all with confidence. And then the next scene we see in Acts 2 is the Apostle Peter standing up and preaching in front of thousands of people one day. Now, these were priests. These were probably, possibly, likely some of the very people involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. These are people who could have done him harm. Is Peter able to stand up and preach to all of those people because Jesus is beside him? Jesus is in heaven. What had happened to Peter that he was able to stand boldly and confidently before all those folks? The Spirit had descended. You see, in Peter's mind, and this is one of the things I want to get in our minds, is that for the Spirit to be with us is better than Jesus being beside us. Now, do we live that way? Oh, Lord, if only you were here. Gosh, after a while, I'd be offended, wouldn't you? If I was the Holy Spirit, if Lord, if only you were here, if I bet things would change if Jesus walked in that back door. But we have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of God. Do you believe that? That's why I say it's perception versus reality. You don't see that. You don't believe it. You don't experience that. That's why we have to let the Bible tell us what actually is true so that our beliefs and our experiences can line up with reality. Do you believe the Holy Spirit's with you? The Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, is so important. What does Jesus say? So Jesus dies and he gives them a commission. He says, I need you to go into all the world, baptize people, teach them, train them, 
it is now your mission, your job to make disciples. And so what should the apostles have immediately done? Let's go. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, and I want you to go out immediately. He says, I'm giving you this great mission, but I don't, I, I've, you've got the gospel that will save souls. You know the truth, but I don't want you to lift a finger until the spirit comes. Isn't that what he says? J.D. Greer says this. In fact, the spirit was so important that Jesus told the disciples not to lift a finger in pursuit of his mission until the spirit came. Are you beginning to see that maybe we're not as dependent upon, as needful of, as aware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as we should be? How many of you do stupid things in the dark late at night that you wouldn't do if Jesus was there? The Holy Spirit is there. A person of the Godhead is with you. You've been baptized into him, into Christ. You've been baptized in the Spirit. And so I think a lot more of our experience and a lot more of our songs should be something more like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the thing, perception versus reality. Which do you live in? Your own perception of the Spirit's importance, your own perception of his personhood, your own perception of his divinity. And because all of those are so small, so is your experience of the Christian life. But we need to be the kind of people who pursue the Spirit's presence and the Spirit's power if we're going to be the kind of people who are Jesus-centered to the glory of God.